Okay, while you're turning in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, Leviticus chapter number 27. You're almost there, Spud. That's good, dude. All right. Keep going. <clears throat> We're going to do lesson two in the series Bible-Based Weapons Training. And tonight we're going to cover something. Uh, a few things about this before we get started. One is before, uh, before we cast out the social media demon uh, and haven't been on Facebook for a few weeks, one thing that I noticed that was trending among uh, the preachers on YouTube and Facebook was there was this big controversy over this subject. Uh, and there's an old saying that the best offense or the best defense is a good offense. And usually what that means is in a sporting contest like a basketball team, if you've got a team that can score a bunch of points, then you don't really have to have a good defense because you can probably score more points than they can anyway. That's pretty lame. You should have a good defense anyway. There's an opposite saying to that is that uh, the best offense is a good defense. So what that means is if you've got a good defense and you keep your opponent from scoring or being successful, then you don't have to score a lot of points. That becomes your offensive weapon because they can't do nothing to you, right? So what we're going to talk about tonight, this weapon we're going to talk about, and you might be curious when I tell you what it is because it doesn't sound like a weapon, is we're going to talk about tithing. Now, one thing that's really cool tonight is that well, I can't say that, honestly. Um, four out of five, five out of six people here, uh, which is like 99.9%, .9%, right, are consistent and faithful tithers, which most of the time when a preacher teaches this lesson in a congregation, you got a pretty mixed crowd of people. You got some people, a core group of people that are regular tithers and faithful in their tithing. Then you got some that do and don't and do and don't. And then you got some that never do. Uh, so I have the benefit tonight of being in a group that is majority faithful tithers, so this will be easy. Uh, this is one of those things that I'm going to teach probably every six months because it reaffirms to us from the scripture why we do what we do, right? Because it's also one of those things that just becomes a habit. Good habits are good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good habits are good. Well, they are. They're good, right? Uh, but you can get in a robot mode or you're just doing it, Right? And it's good every now and then to come back to the scripture and see why we do it. Because some things we can feel like it's just a task, right? Oh man, we got to do this or God's going to curse our finances. Uh, no, sometimes it's good to go back and see all of it, right? And to see the awesome stuff that God does in our life because of some of the things we do. That's what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to cover tithing. Uh, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to cover... Uh, here's a couple things too. Uh, one of the arguments you'll hear against tithing is that it's in the law, right? Uh, the people that, that use that for their argument are scripturally uh, ignorant. And I, and I mean that in the purest, kindest manner. They're just ignorant of the scriptures because tithing is pre-law. It goes way back a thousand years before the law. I knew it was a long time between Abraham and Moses, but I didn't know it was a thousand years. And when I looked it up and found out it was a thousand years between when Abraham tithed and when God gave Moses the law for his people, it was a thousand years. That boggled my mind. Because sometimes we get to thinking that our end of history is the biggest part, you know, when really we're the smallest section of the history of mankind. We're just like a blip on the screen. So one thing this does, it, it encourages me, is that if tithing was instituted a thousand years before Moses, and Moses was thousands and thousands of years before us, and we're still following this practice, then we're following something that's been around a long, long time. And it's got a proven track record. We can call on thousands upon thousands of years, and I don't know how many generations that'd be, thousand generations, that we can call on for evidence that this works, that everything that God says He'll do, that He does. Not just in our lives, or our own personal experience, but every generation since Abraham that has done it, right? So we're going to go, this example is pre-law. This is in Leviticus, or actually, sorry, this one is the law. We're going to do the law first. So we're going to be in the book of Leviticus. 27, 30. 
27? Is that what it is? Are you looking at my notes? Yep. Are you cheater? <laughs> it's like, how do you know that? Well, you're doing good, dude. <laughs> you're doing real good. Don't hurt the people. You would think I would have my books all marked. The problem with me putting bookmarks on this side is, is my, my first half of my Bible falls out. All right. <laughs> Chapter number 27, and Spud said we're going to start in verse 30. So we will. So this is where it's given in the law, okay? This is when God actually gives Moses the law for the children of Israel, and he's in, it says he's in Mount Sinai, right? I and mean, he's on the mountain. And this is when, you know, the time when he's up there, and there's clouds, and there's lightning, and it's dark, and they told everybody, don't come near that mountain, don't even touch it, or you're going to die. But see, he's up there, and he's getting the word of God for the people of God. And in verse 30 is where he's given the tithe. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It's holy unto the Lord. Now, understand, back then they didn't have factories. They didn't have uh, Eastman Credit Unions. They didn't have stores. They didn't have uh, secular jobs like we have where you go out and work nine to five and get a check every week or every two weeks. These people, they were herdsmen and they were farmers. So that's why when God talks to them about tithing, he's talking about land and about cattle because that was the currency of the day. That was what they used to live on. And they didn't go to Walmart and buy their beef already done, right? They had to have the cattle and they had to process it themselves. So that's why the scripture, when God talks about the tithing, he's talking about land and he's talking about cattle, okay? And the first thing to note in here is that he says the tithe is God's. God's. So this is one thing, a principle that I learned for myself and me and Kitty that we settled on a long time ago. It was after we first moved down here, actually. It was the first time we ever had to worry about it. But, you know, you can be somewhere where you don't know about the ministry yet. You're not sure about the pastor's character. You don't know how the church is run. You may be looking for a church home and you're just there the first time. And you have just had some income. So you're tithing. And you're like, well, man, I don't know about this ministry. I'm not sure if we should trust them yet. Here's where me and Kitty found a lot of, a lot of peace. The tithe is God's. Right. So like once we put our tithe, and me and Kitty tithe. We're tithers. And you'll see why here in just a little bit, right? But when you put your tithe in that offering basket, no matter where you go to church, no matter who the preacher is, if that preacher goes out and buys a yacht, if he goes out and buys his third Cadillac, or maybe now they're driving Lexuses. I'm not sure what status quo is anymore. I've been out of loop for a long time. <laughs> Whatever it is he does with it that's wrong, if he does something that you can look at and say, that was wrong, he shouldn't have done that, God's going to get him, that's not godly, you can be right about all that. You may be absolutely right about all that. But if the next thing you say is, he wasted my money, that's where the confusion comes in at. Because that tithe, the Bible says, is God's, right? So that means once I put my tithe in there, that's it. I've given that to God. And whatever, whoever the people are that are uh, in control of where those finances go after I give it to God, if they do something wrong with it, man, that's some bad blood that I'm glad I don't have to answer right. for. That's on their head. It's not on mine. God's not going to look down at me and say, well, you did good by tithing, but they blew the money or they sinned with that money and bought lottery tickets or they bought uh, marijuana or alcohol or tobacco products with it. So that tithe won't count as holy anymore. No, God don't work that way. The minute I give it to God, God accepts that as being, just like the scripture says, holy unto the Lord, right? So me and King found a great deal of peace in that when, in some different experiences we had in the past, right? Because it's like, no, we gave it to God. What they do with it after that, man, that's on their head. I pray they make the right decision because I don't want to show up in front of God and have to answer for doing something wrong with a tithe thinking it's mine because I'm the pastor when the scripture says that's God's tithe, right? So that means no matter what, if I'm living on the ministry, which there's a whole section on that, which is another Bible study, right? Uh, if I'm living on the ministry and that tithe comes in and I treat that tithe like it's just, you know, money I found on the sidewalk and there's no honor in receiving that and it's not handled in the right way, even if it's my income that supports us to live on. If I don't treat that as that's God's, there's going to be something to answer for that in there. You see what I mean? That's God's tithe. That's one thing that we as a people of God, see, first of all, I'm a 
Christian first. And I better be a Christian last. <laughs> and last, I mean, when I'm standing in front of God, right? So before I'm anything else in God in the kingdom, I'm a Christian just like you are, first and foremost. Because if I ain't that, I can't do any of the rest of it, right? Okay? So I have to remember that tithe is God's. When I give it, when we give our tithe, that's God's tithe. And when that money goes in as a tithe, that is holy unto God. Now, the cool thing is that word tithe right there comes from a word ma'as'er. And all that means is tenth. It literally means tenth, okay? So here's the cool part. If a tithe, we give a tithe unto God, that means it's fair for everybody. It doesn't matter if I make $100 a week and this guy makes $1,000 a week. It's the same percentage for everybody. It, the, the guy that gives a 10% of $1,000 isn't giving any more than the guy that makes $100. Right. But if, if you think about it in a lot of ways, and this isn't true, but in a lot of ways, it would seem that the guy that makes the least amount of money is actually giving more because he ain't got much left. Now, when me and Kitty first got in church in 1992, I was fresh out of prison, and I had a record, and I couldn't get a good job. I got all these mule jobs, which explains all the surgeries and my decrepit condition today, right? Uh, but I got a job. The first job I got was making $5 an hour, and even back then, that wasn't no money, okay? And we had, it was me and Kitty, and two kids we had. So... $5 times 40 hours a week is 200 bucks. Now in Illinois, that's a crooked state, okay? When you make $200 before taxes, if you were lucky, you brought home maybe $150, $140 out of $200 a week. That's how high the taxes were. So I went to my pastor when I first learned, I heard tithing over the pulpit, you know? So I'm gonna take up the week's tithing offering at first, I didn't care about it. I was trying to find God. I didn't care about all that stuff, you know? Well, then after I got the Holy Ghost, I was like, hey, Dad, what's this tithe stuff? Because once God became real to me, I wanted to be on in everything that was going on for God because he changed my whole life, you know? Like, what else can I do for God? <laughs> and so Dad told me what a tithe was. I said, well, that makes sense to me. I mean, it makes sense to me that if Almighty God puts the breath in my body, gives me the mental faculties to do my job, gives me the strength in my body to do my job, yeah. that if God is the reason I can do all that, it would be, it seems to me, fair that he would want a dime back on every dollar. And actually, when you think about it, that really kind of don't seem fair. It would seem fair to me, really, that God could have said, you know what, I'm going to give you strength in your body, I'm going to give you a mind be able to do your job and I'm going to provide you with that job, a good job and I'm going to let you keep a dime out of that dollar and I want 90. Right. I mean, he's God Almighty and if I didn't you know what else would be fair? Is if he said if you don't do it, I'm just going to snap my fingers and you ain't going to be here no more. Right. <laughs> Aren't you glad he's a merciful God, though? So see, you know, that's why man ain't God. Thank God for that, right? Because that's how man would do things. He'd be like, hey, I want most of that. I'm the reason you got that income, okay? So when I first found out about the dime on a dollar, I was like, all right. So then I went to my pastor and I said, hey, pastor, <clears throat> I said, man, I make five bucks an hour. I get maybe $150 after taxes. Do we tithe off our gross and off our net? And I remember, I'll never forget my pastor's answer. <laughs> this is a genius answer too, and I've used it over the years. He said, well, do you want a net blessing or do you want a gross blessing? <laughs> I said, Question is answered. <laughs> I'm going to tithe off my gross. Well, and then see what I learned too when, when I thought about it rationally because later on when I started to teach the Bible, I had to be able to explain it in practical manners. And, you know, uh, cute answers didn't always get the job done with some people, right? So you have to think things through. And one thing that made sense to me and God was that if when, before you cash your paycheck, when you cash that check, and you see that I made $200, but I'm only taking home $150. Well, where'd that other 50 bucks go? Well, some of it went into Social Security. Some of it went into state income tax. Some of it went in these initials. I have no idea what that means. So then the question for me becomes, if all those other people, worldly people and government bodies take money out of my gross, why would I not give God money out of my gross amount? So that just always made sense to me. And I personally have learned over the years that if you tithe off your gross, God will bless you grossly. He really does. It's okay. So that word, it means 10th. And it's fair to everybody. 
What I learned, me and Kitty, we would take that two hundred dollars, that one hundred fifty, and we would tie twenty dollars off of it, which meant now we got one hundred thirty. Well, I already ain't got enough to pay my electric bill. And in the wintertime up north, you don't just have an electric bill like with a heat pump. You got electric and a gas bill. And you ain't going to have heat without both of them. And they're both sky high. So here we got $130. We got to feed a family of four. We need gas in the car. I'd like to eat lunch at work this week. I mean, you know, I probably could get by without it, but I'd like to eat lunch at work. And then you got to pay all your bills. Somehow, do you know the only time that we didn't have the money to pay everything? was when we thought we didn't have the money to tithe and we didn't tithe. Now, I'm going to say that again. The only time we didn't have enough money, Spud, to pay all our bills and eat and do everything we needed to do was when we got that money out of my paycheck and thought, well, we just can't afford to tithe this week. So we would miss one week. And then guess what would happen? Some bill wouldn't get paid. Or there wouldn't be enough food to last a week. Or I would fast at work a few days, you know, not because I wanted to, because I had to. But somehow, every time we tied off that little bit of money, we never had the electric shut off, always had a phone. I mean, God took care of us. So we learned in the early days that God is faithful and He can do more with that dime that we give Him than we can do with the whole hundred. Because I've kept the whole hundred before and done without stuff. I give God that little dime and I got stuff laying around. I don't even know where I got it. Where'd that come from? That's awesome. <laughs> because that's the way God does. He really does it that way. So here in Genesis, in, in verse 30, he says you're going to take a tithe. And, and remember back then it was a seed of the land or the fruit of the tree. It is the Lord's. It's holy unto God. And if a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereunto the fifth part. Okay, so back then, remember, they would tithe land, or they would tithe the fruit off their apple trees, or they would tithe the seed that they would get because that was their currency. So when it talks about redeeming their tithe, what that would mean is... Well, let's say that, that, that I just, I bought a whole, uh, I, I'm back then and I bought 10 more acres of land. Well, one-tenth of that, one of those acres, would be a tithe unto God, right? So I would take that to the priest and that would belong to the Levites. Or if I wanted to keep that myself and keep it for a farm and keep the whole 10 acres, then I would give them the cash value of that one acre plus 20% more. See, read it again. If a man will at all redeem any of his tithes, he shall add thereunto the fifth part. That's 20%. So if I had that acre land, but I was like, man, I really want to farm that whole 10 acres. And if you think about the way God sets up his economy, it makes more sense for God and for the kingdom if I keep that acre and plant another acre of apple trees on it. Because now, instead of that one-time acre of land that the Levites ain't going to plow anyway, right? I got an acre full of apple trees, which means every time my apples come in, guess who gets a tenth of those apples? The kingdom of God does. So it makes sense for God that I have that whole 10 acres, and it makes sense for me. So if I I want to keep that one acre. Here's what the redeeming and 20% means. That whatever the value of that acre is, that I would take that cash value and I would give that as my tithe. You see how it makes sense? It's equal. But then God said, in addition to that, you're going to give your 20%. Now, God's a genius businessman. Why would God do that? Because if he didn't do it, everybody would be like, no, you know what, I'm not giving that acre. I'm going to give you the $500 for it or the $100 for that acre. I'm not going to give you uh, oh, this thing that I just purchased. I'm going to give you the money value. And then what would happen is the kingdom of God would only be run on cash only, right? It, there would be no land in the kingdom of God. There would be no possessions in the kingdom of God. And God intended, he told the Levites, that's another section on tithing, that the Levites, the ministry, had no inheritance among all the tribes of Israel. He told them, you're going to live off the tithe. So the people of God, when they would tithe, that's what the Levites, the ministry, lived on. He didn't give them a city when they crossed over with Joshua. They didn't get none of that. Now, they got cities to live in, but it wasn't their possession to be an inheritance to hand on to their kids. They didn't own a title of their house. They didn't own a title to their land. They lived completely on the tithe that came in from the people of God. So, if you would have been able to give money heads up, even up, for anything that you had, land or whatever, there would be no land for the Levites to have a house on. There would be no land for them to plant their own apple trees, where the apple trees are tied to God too, but the other 90 stays in the ministry and all the Levites, right? 
But you add 20% penalty onto that, there's going to be some people saying, you know what, keep that acre, dude. I'll, I'll do it with the other nine. I don't want to pay the 20% interest. Kind of smart business when you think about it, right? Okay. And concerning the tithe of the herd, see, or the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So it was flocks, cattle, everything. And now look what he said that the people that would uh, say they buy a herd or, or all their goats would have babies in the spring and now they got 25 new goats. Well, they'd have to tithe uh, 10% of those 25 goats would go uh, to the Levites again, right? So look what he says though. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. In other words, uh, I, I got 30 brand new baby goats and I got to give one out of every 10 and tithe off of it to God and hand it over to the Levites, right? Then, and I'm counting a one through nine and I get to number 10 and man, that's the sharpest looking goat right there. You know, I'm, I can give my 10. I'm just going to give this ugly goat over here. And that's exactly what God's talking about and tells Moses, says, don't let them pick and choose when it gets to number 10. You line them up and whoever number 10 is, God said, that's mine. So you see how important this is to God? And it also points out a, a, a principle all the way through the Scripture that God don't want our second best. God wants the best that we've got to offer Him. Okay, so that's back when the tithing is in the law. Okay, now we're going to turn to the left in Genesis chapter 14. And we're going to see the first instance of tithing in the Bible. And here's the answer to people that say tithing is in the law. Genesis 14 and verse 17. Tithing was before the law. And here's what's cool. That verse that I just gave you where God is giving Moses tithing on Mount Sinai, right? It's never mentioned before. The only time it's ever mentioned before is right here with Abraham. So then... Wouldn't God, if it was the first time that he had been given, wouldn't God have to explain in that verse and tell Moses, now Moses, a tithe is one-tenth of everything, Moses. It's one out of every ten. And you tell everybody tithing is one out of every ten, but he didn't do that. Which tells us that when Abraham tithed, and just like everything else about Father Abraham that was passed down from generation to generation to generation, Tithing was already a common practice among the people of God. So when God came back and handed out the law on Mount Sinai, he didn't have to start from scratch and give it to everybody. Everybody knew what tithing was. You don't find an explanation of tithing anywhere in the law. And if it was a brand new concept, God would have to explain what a tithe is. But he doesn't. And here's why. Chapter 14. Where did it say? It said verse number 17. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, now this is after uh, Abraham goes back and he rescues Lot. Remember Knucklehead Lot? And he goes and he rescues him. And the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer. How would you like that name? Another Chedorlaomer. I like that. And the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now it's not saying that Melchizedek gave Abram tithes. Abram gave Melchizedek tithes. And you got nowhere anywhere where tithe is mentioned anywhere. This was something that God put on him. Stay with me, son. I'm going to hide my notes. Stay with me. You don't see anywhere where tithing is mentioned before. So where did Abraham get this? Abraham, this had to have been a revelation given to Abraham from God. And then later on, the scripture talks about uh, Melchizedek and, and makes it seem like that that was Jesus. That was God himself as a priest that didn't have any family, uh, uh, any family tree, didn't have a beginning or an ending. There's only one I know of that didn't have a beginning and doesn't have an ending. That's God Almighty. So here Abram is tithing unto God. And this is a thousand years 
before the scripture we just read where Moses got the law. God liked what Abram did so much and what obviously the people of God must have continued to do because he gave no further explanation of it. He liked it so much. He said, you know what? I'm going to put that in my law. Now, one thing about what we read in Leviticus 2, if you notice, that was almost at the end of the whole book of Leviticus. I mean, that's like how he wound it up with that tithing thing. Gets to the end and says, and, and don't forget my tithe. Totally unto God. So that's pretty cool. So here we got proof. Yeah, tithing was made law in the book of Leviticus, but tithing started way before the law, a thousand years before the law. Now here's the next thing. The other thing they hear is, well, that's Old Testament. Well, okay, that's true, it is. But we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 23. Jesus discussed tithing, and he approved of it. And it's funny because he brought it up when he was scolding. Now, here, here's the thing, too. This proves that tithing is not a legalistic. In other words, tithing don't mean we're paying to be right with God. Because you can tithe, and if you got the wrong spirit, or we don't treat people right, or we don't live the way we ought to try to live for God, then that tithing don't count for nothing, and we're going to die lost anyway. And Jesus gets ready to scold these people. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites. Here's why. Because you pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. So he's telling them, you're tithing off all this stuff, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. The heavier stuff, the more important things. Judgment, mercy, and faith. So even in the days of the law, before the New Testament, it was heavier, more important in the eyes of God that we treat people good than it was that we give God his tithe. We already saw that God made tithe a law and commanded us to give it to him, but in the eyes of God, he cared more about how we treat people. So we can be tithing and never miss it, and even put an extra above our tithe, right? But if we treat people like dirt, we're, we're on the wrong side of God. So he told them that you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Now, these are people who are legalists. You know, they, they like to refer to people as legalists that, that try to do as many things right as they can. Well, if that's what you call legalists, then you can call me a legalist. I'm trying to do as many things right as I can. If God says he likes it, I'm going to try to do it. If he, he says he don't like it, I'm going to try not to do that. You can call me anything you want to call me, but that's what I'm going to try to do. Okay? So these are the legalists. The people that live any old way they want to, they call themselves free. That's what, that's what blows my mind. They, they say that we're bound. They call themselves free, but they're the ones that think they're okay because they dropped that dime on a dollar in a bucket, but they're out there living like the rest of the world, and you can't tell any difference from the way they live and the way the sinner that knows they ain't serving God lives. That's not free. That is a legalist. Say, how in the world? That's backwards. No, that's not backwards. Think about it. It takes a legalist to think that if I drop my dime and a dollar uh, in the bucket on Sunday, I can live any way the rest of the week I want to because, you know, God's not into works. What? what? Then you, you think you have this legal right because you have given your dime on a dollar and you think because you've obeyed that that you've got the legal right to behave any way you want to in all the other areas of your life. That, my friend, is a legalist. And that's usually somebody looking for a loophole. Man, I don't want no loopholes. I ain't trying to get out of nothing. I'm trying to get in something. That's heaven. <laughs> right? Amen. So look what Jesus tells them. He called them hypocrites because they're paying tithe and everything. But they left out the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And he goes, these ought you to have done. Right? You should have been uh, used judgment. You should have been merciful. You should have had faith. And not to leave the other undone. Right. So he's saying, hey, you should have behaved in these ways and to do that too. 
You did good by doing that. Don't leave that undone. See, what Jesus ain't saying here that, that you don't tithe, but treat people good and have judgment and have mercy and have faith, right? He's not saying that. He's saying, have these things, but don't leave that tithing undone. Put it all together. Mm. You see, that's what we're supposed to do. we got to put it all together. There's some things we do out of obedience, and we do them just to be obedient because God said to, and that's all I need to know. If God said to, I'm going to try to do it, right? And there's other things to do because it just makes good sense. It makes good sense to be good to people. Mm. It makes good sense to use good judgment. It makes good sense to walk in the faith that we have with God, right? So here we have Jesus himself saying, don't leave the tithing undone. This is New Testament. So we've already proven in the Bible tonight in just a few minutes, half hour, it's a few minutes, it's really good for me. We've already proven in a half an hour that tithing, uh, yes, it's in the law, but it's a thousand years before the law. And I don't know how many, I didn't look up how many thousands of years after Moses, I don't remember off the top of my head, that Jesus was, right? So here we are thousands of years later, and Jesus is talking tithing and saying, don't leave it undone. So, we've just disproved most arguments today that people have about tithing. Right. Now, the last thing. All right, that's interesting, Arliss, but how is tithing a weapon? Turn just to the left. The last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Were you Matthew? Uh, yep, yes. there you go. Turn, just turn to the left. Keep going this way. Oh, that one. Okay. Yep, that's okay. Malachi. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's the very one right after Matthew. All right. Getting there. Bingo. Chapter number three. You say, okay, how is tithing a weapon? Well, first, I, I want to make these comments on the book of Malachi. This fascinates me. Some months ago, I posted something about tithing. And these two theologians, can they see rabbit ears on Spotify? No, they can't. That's why I said it out loud. These two theologians made comments uh, underneath this post about tithing that I made, and they agreed that, well, you know, that was Old Testament. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't hear you say that about any of the other promises in the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, it's funny to me that the modern Christian church will run around and claim every promise in the Old Testament. It's mine. If it was for the Jews, it's mine too. Until you get the money. Right. All of a sudden, that's Old Testament. Uh, we ain't bound by that. You know? right. It's like, okay, you, first of all, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay, But second of all, let's say you were right. How come you take all them other promises, like through the head and not the tail, and that's your promise, but you know, giving a dime on a dollar to God, that's not your promise. How come you take the promise you're above and not beneath, and that's yours, and you're more than conquerors and everything else, but when it gets to something that involves your wallet, all of a sudden, that's Old Testament, and you don't need it. That just kind of struck me as curious, right? Then there's a logical thought to this. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. God's not going to talk to his people for 400 more years. And then when he does, it's going to be, ready for this, as God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So then, God in the Spirit is moving through the prophet Malachi to say the last things he knows he's going to say to his people before he comes back and says them out of his own fleshly mouth as Jesus. So then why would he say anything through Malachi that's not going to count the very next time he talks to them again? Right. That doesn't make a lick of sense. And then, I know, this is good stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but then, not only is it the last book, that he's going to speak through a prophet to his people for 400 years before he comes back and speaks himself. Yeah. But it's in the last chapter of the last book. Well, there's one more. It's just a few verses. But it's like almost the last thing he's got to say. God is not going to say for the last time, for 400 years, he's not going to say, hey, y'all, I want y'all to be tithing. You've been robbing me. And then nothing. And then show up 400 years and say, hey, y'all, you don't have tithe no more. That don't make any sense. He's a God of reason. His ways are above ours, not beneath ours. That would make him... Well, I'm going to be careful. I won't say anything bad. That, wouldn't, that would not be the God that we know. It doesn't make any sense. So here God is in Malachi. The last words He's going to speak to His people before He comes back 400 years later in the flesh, right, as a Messiah. 
And we're going to start in verse 1. He's talking about coming back. Behold, I will send my messenger. I'm talking about John the Baptist. And he shall prepare the way before me, 3 and 1, and the Lord whom you seek. In other words, he's got Malachi talking to all these, the children of God, and they're all seeking him here. It's 400 years before he comes, so they're looking for him. Somebody's trying to find God. So God answers back through the preacher and says, this God that you're looking for, he's coming. But this guy's going to come before and prepare the way before. And look at this God talking. Prepare the way before my son? No. Prepare the way before the second member of the three-person. Let me see. What's that say? Behold, I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. This is God. This ain't Jesus. This is God saying, I'm coming. All right. yep. Emmanuel, God with us. Hmm. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, the covenant you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? In other words, uh, uh, who's going to be able to handle that? He's asking, are you all living in the condition you think you should be living in for him to come? Do you think if you met, whoo, boy, I feel this one in the Holy Ghost. If you met him today, would you think everything's all right? I got to ask myself that question. That's what he's asking them. Listen, listen to what he's asking them. He said, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight on, behold, he shall come, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? He said, y'all run around everywhere looking for me. What would you do if you found me? Would you be able to stand if you found me? Is it all good with your soul today if you found me? God's talking some serious stuff here, ain't he? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soul. What? Man, we want this. These Jews are wanting this general to come and set them free, you know, from being in bondage to other nations and, and, and to be on their side and to be their captain of the host and, and be at the front of the army and vanquish the enemy. And God's saying, when I come, I'm going to vanquish somebody. It's going to be you. He said, I'm going to be the refiner's fire. The refiner's fire is like them silversmiths take that silver and it's got a bunch of junk in it and they put it in that fire and that fire is so hot, it burns the silver until it turns into liquid like the water in that bottle and then it burns out all the stuff that ain't pure silver. But it takes a high heat to do that. And that silver don't like that. It's not comfortable, but it gets away all the impurities. And God himself is saying, when I come, that's why I'm coming. I can't save the whole world until I save you first. <laughs> and like fuller soap. Now I ain't ever used fuller soap, but I've used state issued soap in the penitentiary. Uh, uh, and it ain't dove with a lemon. What's that oil of old age smell to it? Uh -uh. It ain't the kind of soap you will find in fancy hotels either. This soap is green. And it's got knots in the side of it, and you wash your body with it, and hair comes right off your arm. That soap's so rough. But you don't get out of that shower wondering if you're clean. Right. Huh? You don't ever use that soap and get out and wonder, am I clean? You gotta be clean. You got raw skin everywhere. It's gonna take you a month to scab up. And that's what Fuller's soap has got to be. It's the kind of soap that, oh, that's pretty good stuff. I say so much. And get rid of that top layer of that flesh and get down to the spirit man. And that's what, look, this ain't the warm, fuzzy Jesus. He's being preached on TV, man. Jesus said, y'all looking for me, but I'm going to come a little different than what you're looking for. And what did he tell him when he did show up? He said, you wasn't looking for this. <laughs> but this is what you got. Hmm. He showed up to his own, and his own received him not. Hmm. He shall purify the sons of Levi. What? Yeah, I'm going to purify that ministry. It's corrupt. I'm going to purge them as gold and silver. Ouch. Boy, he did too. He lit them up. And he says, why? Why would God do that to his ministry? Why would he do that to the people of God? So they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God's saying, you know, I'm going to come and they're going to be doing all these offerings and following all these rules, but I want those offerings when they're in the spirit that's right. 
when they're treating each other the way they should, when they're loving their neighbor and loving their brother and their sister. I want those offerings to be given to me while the people are in the spirit of righteousness. And God looked at his church and said, the only way that's going to happen is I've got to come down and purify and purge. I used to work in a heat treating plant. And this heat treating plant had these big old ovens and you would take these normal bolts or screws or nuts and put them in these pots and put them through this oven and, and then it would go through and the temperature would get so hot you'd look in there and those things would be red hot glow in the dark and they would come out the other side and they would be three or four or five times harder than they were before they went through. But then they the, the oven had burnt off all these impurities off these things so once you got done with the run you had to go the oven through a purge cycle and what a purge cycle was is now you're not doing something to any other product going through there. You've got to clean that oven out because there's some junk that's got in there from it doing its job. And God is saying there's some junk that's gotten in the ministry that I got to clean out. That's exactly what he means when he says he's going to purge them as silver and gold so they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord like it was in the days of old as in the former years. And I will come near to you in judgment. I will be a swift witness. Now, now, now see, this is God Old Testament talking about what he's going to do in New Testament. Mm -hmm. So all these people that ain't got a problem with some of these things he lists right here in New Testament because it's New Testament ain't read the Old Testament at all. He says, I will be. He's saying when I come as Jesus... When I build the church, I will be a witness against sorcerers. That's horoscopes too, man. Palm readers, horoscopes. I'm going to tell you something else. These memes that, that are all over Facebook, I don't guess they stop in two weeks. <laughs> but these memes that, that Christians would put on, and they would pull up these things, and it would say, uh, the Lord is saying unto you today. Man, that's a horoscope. God ain't said nothing through that meme. He ain't said nothing through uh, Prophet Fred over there. He's just trying to go viral so he can monetize his social media. That's horoscopes. Same thing. Against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against false swearers. In other words, you, you give your word, you better keep it. And against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me. God said when he comes back, when he comes as Jesus, he's going to be a witness against people that don't treat people right. We're supposed to treat people right, man. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, I swore I'd never wipe the world out and start all over again. That's the only reason you all still living. That's what he's saying. Now we're going to get to the tide part. I knew we'd get there. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances, my laws, my rules, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? Now, out of all the things for God to say, God doesn't say, you need to return to me in the ministry being honest. You need to return to me in the way you treat your widows and your fatherless and your hireling. Look at the thing that's on God's mind when he's telling the people how to turn back to him before he shows up with skin on. The one thing that's on his mind. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And God answers in tithes and offerings. Mm -hmm. Why in the world would God tell the people you need to stop robbing? See, now that's a mind-blowing concept. God doesn't just look at me if I don't give my tithe to him and say, you didn't give me my tithe that was holy unto me. God looks at me and says, you stole from me. I, I didn't write this. I mean, it, 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 will a man rob God? It doesn't say, will a man keep from God what he should give God? You see the difference? On one, it's just keeping, not giving God something you should give God. On the other, it's robbing God. If I owe hours and I just don't give him that $5, that's one thing. But if I knock Spud out and grab his wallet and take $5, that's robbing Spud. So when God looks at me and I don't give time, God doesn't look at me and say, you're not giving me what you should. God's saying, you stole something that's mine. That's harsh wordage, man. That's some hardcore verbiage. And it's important to remember, here's one thing I got to say too. It don't matter what I put on the envelope. It don't matter what I tell myself, tell the church, tell the bishop, tell the... It don't matter what I classify something as. 
I can call it a tithe all I want to. If it ain't one-tenth, it ain't a tithe. I would be better off if I was going to give 90% of it or one-ninth of it or one-fifth of it. I would be better off marking that as an offering and giving that unto God than marking it as a tithe when it's not a tenth. Because then if I mark it as a tithe and it's not, I've done two things. One, I've robbed God. Two, I've lied to God. So now I'm a thief and a liar. Not just to other people, to God. That's like going into heaven and stealing something out of God's house and then looking him in the face and saying, I didn't steal nothing from you. But so if I don't give him that tithe and I write it down as an offering, at least I've given an honest offering. Yes, that is an offering. That don't need. And you know what the thing is I've learned over the years? It don't make anybody's conscience feel any better if they call it a tithe because they're going to know and it's going to eat at them that was not my tithe. And there will be 90 reasons why I couldn't tithe, I couldn't do this, I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't. That's between them and God. All I know is it's bad enough to have God say that I've stolen from him, mm. then to have him say, not only did you steal from me, but now you're lying to me. Mm. Man, it used to hurt my dad more than anything else, boy. If I did something wrong, he knew it was me. <laughs> I was going to get a whooping. <laughs> I used to like, woo, 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 dance in the circle when he's got one arm and a belt. That's how they did it in my day. <laughs> but then if I stood there and lied and told him I didn't do it when he knew I did it, the whooping was twice as bad. So I learned after a while, just tell the truth and get the whooping for the one thing. Because if you lie, you're going to get a whooping for the thing you did. Now you're going to get another whooping for lying to me. So God has one whooping for stealing from him. And if I lie about it, there's... Boy, I'm stuck on that, ain't I? If I lie about it, there's another whooping coming from telling a lie. Now, it's interesting to note here, too, that God doesn't just cover tithes. God covers offering. He says, you rob from me and tithe and offer. There used to be a joke in the oneness churches. It was like these currencies got together and, and, and they were in a pile somewhere uh, in the bank and they were in a vault and, and the $50 bill, you know, the, the, the $20 bill, asked the $50 bill where he'd been. He says, well, man, I was at the seafood restaurant last night. Yeah, buddy, it was a good time. It was a fancy restaurant, all nice and everything. And the 50 asked $20 bill. He said, where was you at? Well, I went, to, I went to McDonald's with the family, but we all ate, you know, it was all right. And then they looked at the $1 bill and they said, where you been? He says, oh, I just go to church. <laughs> One thing I've learned over the years, I don't care if there's 500 people in the congregation or there's five, there's going to be a whole lot of $1 bills in the offering. Now, am I not grateful for that? I'm very grateful for that. But if we're in the book, is $1 or $2, is that an offering that God looks at and says, we're good? I don't know. If God looks at a total income and says one-tenth of that is mine, one-tenth of your overall income, what percentage is $2 of my overall income? Is that point zero zero? And if it is, now this is a question I'm throwing out there. You pray just like I will and God will tell us. <laughs> is point zero 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 whatever an offering that God says is Okay, you're not robbing me? Because according to the scripture, though preachers, myself included, tend to focus on the tithing part of robbing God, that's not the only thing that God says right there, you've robbed me of. He says, where and have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. And a lot of times we feel like, well, man, we tithe. And it's a lot of money. Well, okay, that's my tenth. So if I give my tenth, which is God's, does that give me the right to come in and put a dollar in the offering every week? And I understand this. Please understand this. I'm not complaining about anything. I'm probably one of the less complainers. I like to think I am. But I got nothing to complain about, man. I, I'm married above my station. I live above my station. I am living high on the hog, and I got nothing to complain about. I, I really got no needs. Man, I need a miracle in my body. I'll take one of them. I really want one. I really do. And I really do. But as far as life goes... I'm good. If I was to check out right now, I'd miss out on a lot of things, and I really would, but I wouldn't know it because I wouldn't be missing out on anything anymore. Y'all have to catch up later, right? 
So the reason I teach this the way that I do is because it's the way that it's written. And the way this is written is, is God had a problem with people, not just robbing tithe, but offerings too. And in the apostolic church, 30 years experience, 20 years probably pastoring in one form or another, I know that that one and $2 offering, that's the mainstay. Hey, we got a couple ones, got a couple dollars, we need something for the offering. I'm just telling you, have I not asked you that before? Oh, me, oh, my, it's me, oh, Lord, standing in need of prayer. But all I know is when I was studying for this lesson, this offering part of it stood out, and I had never asked myself before if one-tenth of my overall is God's, but He considers an offering His too. My offering's got to be point zero zero. <laughs> is that okay? I, I'm, I'm feeling like it ain't. So I'm feeling like that for me and Kitty, that, that we're going to start, we got to figure out something that's more in proportion to what God probably expects an offering to be. Now, if I stumble on something, I'll be like, praise God, it'll be on the messenger. Hey guys, look what I found. <laughs> we don't have to guess. I don't like guessing. Not when it comes to stealing from God. And I'm going to have to ask God to forgive me because... This makes it obvious to me that Arliss Lee Rapier Jr. has stolen from God many, many times over the years because I've gone into church myself with a dollar or two dollars. I just have, and I don't believe anymore that that is whatever that percentage is. I just I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that that could be it. So you guys pray about that too, will you? And we'll find it in the Scripture somewhere, all of us together, or God will tell us. Because it's all His anyway, right? I just want to be right with God, man. That's all. I just really do. That's what this is about. So, so the last one, the last things God's got to say to anybody is that you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. And then He says in verse 9, look at this. Because of that, you are cursed with a curse. How? Okay, I just admitted to everybody and the Spotify church that upon deeper understanding of this scripture that I know I've robbed God in my offerings and God just said that if anybody robs him of his tithe and his offering that we're cursed with a curse. So my mind is, is going to start to ask logical questions. Then what in my life, what has come into my life over the years that would not have if I would have given the right offering? if I would have took offering as serious as I did tithe, because I never have. I always felt like if I had something to put in the offering, I was good. I gave an offering. But clearly, God thinks more of an offering than just any old thing I have to have in my, on top of the dresser or in my pocket. So, to my mind, for me, is I wonder what things have entered into my life over these past 30 years that would not have been entered in, because God just said that there's a cursing ball if we rob Him, and I know I have. And he says, because you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Then look what he says, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes, all the tithes, into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me. Prove me. See, that's the thing. A tenth is a tenth of, of anything. So that means, you know, I'm walking in the parking lot in Walmart, and I, I see a $20 bill in my pocket. On the ground, in, in my pocket. <laughs> it's on the ground, going in my pocket. But I see that $20 bill, I'm going to tie my $2 off that 20 bucks. I just am. Because it was an income, right? The 10% of what comes in. So, and that's why, that's the point he's making here. Is they must have had some parts of their life where it was like, okay, that's my job. We tithe off of that. God said to tithe off the land, the trees, the seed, and the flocks. But he didn't say nothing about this over here. So I'll just give some kind of offering off that. And then God's right here saying, bring in all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Now this is a part everybody likes. Who wouldn't like this? And pour you out a blessing. And everybody seems to think money when they think of this. Mm -hmm. Pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. There's an old uh, uh, gospel song, and I can't think of the way the wording goes right now. I wish I could. But the song is this guy singing about how everywhere I look in my life, I see the favor of God. Everywhere I look, I see the handprint of God. He is literally blessed every area of my life. Now, some of them, are they what I would like them to be? No. 
<laughs> Some of them, are they a problem still? Well, yeah. Are they as much of a problem as I deserve them to be? No. <laughs> no, because I know what I deserve, right? And God never gives me that. Thank God for his mercy. So when this says he'll pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive it, stop and look at your life. Mm-hmm. And when you look around and you can honestly point at all the different areas of your life, I mean, what really is a small blessing? Mm. There was a day we didn't have any. I mean, I don't know if y'all can remember that far back. I didn't realize then that being alive was a blessing, right? Sometimes I thought I'd be better off if I wasn't. But I can remember looking in my life and there was no kitty. I looked in my life and there was no peace. I, I, there was no value, no self-value. There was no goodness, no mercy, none of that stuff. And I look around now, man, and I got stuff happen. Like I, I was trying to put the water pump in yesterday and sometimes my hands go dead. And, and now last couple years, it goes all the way up to the arm sometimes, which means I just, I can't tell what I'm doing on that, right? And I was doing this bolt and water pump and had it all put back together. You've been proud of me, Jimmy. I, I even uh, used the glue stuff, right? I mean, it was, yeah. it was beautiful. And I'm leaning over top that. I'm little, so I got to put cinder blocks in front of the truck. Yeah. And I lean over, and, and sometimes the bolt on the bottom, my, my foot might be up there a little bit. It's kind of funny. No video camera for that, my lord. <laughs> and so I'm on this bolt, and I'm twisting it. I'm only got two left. I'm thinking, man, I got this thing. I got it. Snap! Snap this bolt off, and it's all the way in. All the way in. Yeah. I just stopped breathing. My whole day was ruined. And I got all the parts up, took all the parts, put them in the bench of the truck. And I thought, well, looks like the shop's getting that truck, and I don't know when that's going to happen. And I go in the house, and this cloud, you know, like that uh, ship rock or whatever his name was on the Flintstones. Remember that dude? Slip rock, yeah, that little cloud traveled above him. Everywhere he went, rained on him, you know. Friends not getting rained on, just raining on him. Got his own personal rainstorm. And I'm in there just feeling sorry for myself and upset. Then, you know, a little ways later, it's like, David, there's a day you didn't have a vehicle. There was a day you didn't have a driver's license. It was revoked twice. You were never supposed to be able to drive. And the worst problem you got in your life today is you snapped a bolt off in the water pump. But see, I'd become convinced that that was the way my whole life was, which made me realize my life is so spoiled rotten that one simple thing, like, like messing up on a vehicle, that, that can consume me and make me feel like everything's lost. All that tells me is I'm spoiled rotten. Because there's people out there today that don't know where their kids are. Mm-hmm. There's people out there today been told by the doctor they got a week to live. Mm-hmm. And I snap the bolt off in a water pump. Mm-hmm. So I look at my life and I can see that this shit plays out. That there ain't room to contain the blessings that I have in my life. That they're everywhere. And we're almost done. This last part, if there was no window of heaven that he would pour out a blessing spud, this last verse is reason enough for me to tithe, and this is where the weapon comes in. Mm-hmm. God said, for a dime on a dollar and, and your offering, I will rebuke the devourer. Devour? What does he want to devour? Your marriage, your children, your peace, your eternity with God, mm-hmm. your relationship with your grandchildren. You look at anything good in your life that you know God has given you, there is a devourer out there that wants nothing more than to come in the middle of your life and eat it all up and spit it right out in your face. And God said, for a dime on a dollar and an offering, I will rebuke him. There's no other reason for me to tithe. I've had paid for insurance before. You know what that means? That means every check you can give them a couple hundred dollars just in case you ever do go to the doctor. And then when you do go to the doctor, just because you've been giving a couple hundred dollars for a couple years and never went to the doctor, don't mean when you go to the doctor, it's free. Doesn't mean you paid for it already. It means you've been paying all these years. You go to the doctor and pay at the counter before you go back in the office. And then when you go back in the office, you got to come out and you got to pay for whatever happened back in the office. That's the kind of insurance man gives. Don't mean nothing. But the insurance God gives says there's a devourer out there and I will stop him dead in his tracks for a dime on a dollar 
Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed. You know, I'm going to confess something to you. For some reason, down through the years, people have just invited themselves to come visit us. It's okay, it's okay. I got this. And I get it, you know. I'm not exactly a public figure, but when I go somewhere and preach, there's 50 people or 100 people in the congregation, you know, they all think they know me. I don't know all their names or nothing, but they all know mine, and, and they all think they know me, and that's cool and everything. Well, and then people will come to visit and just pop up out of the blue, or, or, and that's awesome. Most of the time, it's awesome, right? Uh, but at first, you know, I was, I was self-conscious about where me and can you live now. And I'm just going to confess to you. Because, you know, these people that, that I don't know what they think when they see me in the pulpit because I'm a very, it was a blessing then. But I knew that everybody that would come over and say, hey, so watch out when you step in front of the sink over there. Remember that spot, Jimmy? Yeah, they, right. And they would forget yeah. about it and step there before it go, whoop, you know. They, they're going to have a hard time thinking, oh, this is blessed. <laughs> right? And the reason I was self-conscious about it wasn't a pride problem. It was because I wanted to represent God well. I didn't want people to hear the way that I preach and the way that I preach is God is awesome. He blesses your life and I live high on the hog. I tell people that everywhere I go because I do. But I didn't want them to come and think, okay, whatever, that ain't high on the hog, right? <laughs> but then one day God just dealt with me over that and he's like, dude, you're not in Joliet Correctional Center anymore. You're not in the crack house spending child support tonight. You're not drunk on your 22nd beer today. You really think you're not representing me? What you're teaching people is, is you can be happy with whatever state you're in when all is well between you and God. And this is where understanding that the blessings God talks about, it isn't the things that we think about in this world. To do now what I like, I'm thank God we got a floor now and it don't sag down in front of the sink, right? I didn't put it together very well, but it's a floor, my goodness, and it works. <laughs> my wife can do dishes without going whoop, whoop, right? <laughs> it's awesome. I thank God for it. There's a lot of stuff Stuff still needs to be done, but that's okay. We have to remember the blessings of God are things that none of the things in the world that we can acquire with money can ever replace. And there are people that are trying to spend a lot of money to acquire them in the wrong places. And the reason they're so depressed and so anxious anymore is because they've done all they thought they had to do to find the blessings, only to realize that those aren't blessings after all. So, wrapping up. Tithing is before the law. It's in the law. It's after the law. Jesus talked about it. God talked about it. One of the last things before he put skin on and came and talked about it again in person. It's God's tithe. And we need to pray about what God's offering is. I know I do. I can't speak for nobody else. I know I do, right? And we need to remember what the blessings of God really are. I know I do. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your word tonight. Lord, I, I, I can't get over. I can't get over the fact that, that for a dime on a dollar, that you give us the ability to earn anyway. And for an honest offering, that you will rebuke the devourer, the one that wants to destroy every good thing in our life. Lord, that's insurance. If you didn't open the windows in heaven and pour out a blessing that I couldn't find room to store it, this right here would be enough. This would be reason enough for me to tithe. I thank you, Lord, the devourer is rebuked. And I ask you tonight, God, Lord, just to, to lead us to that section of Scripture. There can't be, I don't understand how it could be possible, Father, that if the offering was that important too, that there isn't scripture that gives us what an honest offering is. You wouldn't leave that just to guesswork, not if it's that important to you. So I ask you, Lord, to give us revelation, to teach it to us, Father, that, that we would know it for ourselves and we would teach it to others. And I thank you, Lord, that I am in a room full of people that are faithful tithers, God, that love you, Lord, 
that have given their lives to serve you. And I thank you for that privilege. Thank you, Lord, for the easiest, most comfortable time I've ever taught tithing in 30 years. Thank you for that. But Lord, give me the backbone I'm going to need for the day that it'll be less comfortable because there will be a day where it will be. But help us, Father, to stand in and on Your Word and confirm Your Word, Lord. If there's any area of these promises, Father, that have not been confirmed in the lives of Your people, I ask You tonight, God, to do it, Lord. Do it for Your glory. If there's somebody that's going to listen to this lesson on Spotify, Father, Lord, give them the courage to try this if they've never tried it before. And when they do, Lord, we know you will do your part. And Lord, if they don't have a home church, Father, let them find a ministry they believe in, God, and let them invest into that ministry, Father. And when they do, Lord, pour out every promise you have made to them, God, and show yourself mighty in their lives. Get the devourer out of their house. Get them out of their marriage. Get them out of the lives of their children and their grandchildren. Get them out of their finances, out of their health, Father. Wherever that devourer is right now today, rebuke him for them, God. And whatever the curses are that have entered their lives, Lord, cause those curses to leave and be replaced by your blessings. We thank you, Father, for being a good God. We thank you, Lord, for the Russell Chapel and ask you to bless everything in their lives. Ask you to keep your hand upon the Wells family, Lord, and ask you for a miracle in my body. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. amen.